Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Lip Media podcast. How do you feel about you being kind of pseudo Instagram famous through Sarah? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily call it pseudo Instagram famous, right? I think... <laughs> is it just uh, straight up Instagram famous? Yeah, are you just straight Insta famous? Yeah, just straight up Instagram famous. <laughs> Hi, my name is June. And I'm Dad. And you're listening to our podcast, List Me Tender, where we delve into bucket list things to do before you turn 30. So today we have a very interesting topic. It is learn how to cook from scratch. Super relevant during our quarantine life. And I'm going to quickly read the blurb. Mm -hmm. Surprise your friends and family with your cooking skills. Enough of instant noodles and sandwiches. Before you hit the 30s, learn how to cook a proper meal. You don't have to attend cookery class for that. YouTube can help you out in this journey. Mm-hmm. So cooking is something that is quite close to my heart. I personally really love food and really love eating. And because of that, I really, really also enjoy cooking. Yeah. But for this week, we have a guest and his name is Drumroll. Who is it? It is <laughs> Eric. Whoa, hi, Eric. Hi, Eric. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so a bit of background. I have known Eric for about 14 mm-hmm. years. And also, Eric is one of our other guests from our other show, <laughs> Sarah's boyfriend, partner? Lover. Yeah, yeah. Life, <laughs> life partner. Life partner. I just feel like at our age, using the word boyfriend is so high school. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like, I feel that this is my the, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. You can't great. use boyfriend or girlfriend in your thirties. But then I think in this modern world where there are so many same-sex relationships, I think if you use the word partner too early on, people make presumptions upon your like sexuality too early. So you got to like drop oh, really? Your yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. I agree. With oh, her. that's so interesting. Yeah. So people err on the side of caution. I think that's less a thing here, maybe because same-sex marriage has been around for a really long time. Ah, of course. Yeah, so we have known Eric for a really long time, and through that time, I think he's cooked for most of that time that we've known him. And coincidentally, Sarah really loves carbohydrates, so she has, uh, I guess, a food blog part of her life that features Eric quite heavily. How do you feel about you being kind of pseudo-Instagram famous through Sarah? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily call it pseudo-Instagram famous, right? I think... <laughs> Is it just uh, straight up Instagram famous? Yeah, are you just straight Insta famous? Yeah, just straight up Instagram famous. <laughs> I, I think the, um, I don't know, it's quite nice, right? Mm-hmm. But then I don't think I do it for that reason. I cook because it's a creative outlet. And I think I'm a relatively mm-hmm. creative-minded person, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have other creative outlets. I don't think I'm artistically gifted or musically talented. Mm-hmm. So I think food is just an outlet for me to produce things and create things in a creative way. 
is this something that's fairly recent or have you always been interested in food? Because I don't, I remember quite early on in our relationships, like we used to go out to restaurants and stuff, but I don't I remember you cooking very much. Or maybe because Instagram wasn't around, who knows. But I think over the last four or five years, your cooking really taken more it's of like an interest level. in cooking. Yeah, like next level cooking. So it would be good to like give us a bit of like background, like, you know, when did you start? What made you want to start cooking? Also, just for ev- so everyone listening, um, I am like a typical home cook where I just don't weigh anything. I just cook by taste and I just throw everything into one pan. The less dishes to wash, the better. But Eric's cooking is quite precise and really like measured out and weighed out. So like I have a lot of respect for people that cook to th- that sort of like what I would call a restaurant quality standard. I think I've always been cooking since moving out of home. Mm. But then as I grew up and older through my 20s I started eating restaurant meals more and then I realized how delicious and creative food can be so <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that kind of spurred my own uh kind of uh, development in terms of how I cook and, and mm-hmm. moving away from food as substance to food as an outlet mm-hmm. okay and then I think I was always brought up in a relatively food-focused family. My mum was an amazing cook and I'm Eurasian. My mum's of Indonesian descent. So Mm -hmm. food is always a big part of Indonesian culture. So I think I was always surrounded by good food and home-cooked meals that were wholesome, tasty and made with that kind of love of a family. I think I've always been Mm. part of my life. And food as an outlet has always been something which I've gravitated towards as I've gotten older. Actually, one thing I realized we didn't do is we didn't ask you to introduce yourself. So, Eric, do you want to say like a sentence or two about who you are? Oh, wow. Oh. Uh, well, I guess I'm a 34-year-old uh, male born in Australia, but to an Indonesian mother and an Australian father. I grew up in a relatively small family with only me and my brother. So I guess... And food's always been part of my life in terms of having an amazing cook as a mother. Do you think Do you think growing up in a mixed household, did you grow up eating both Indonesian food as well as Western food? Or did your mum do all the cooking and then you just grew up with an Asian palate? So I think I grew up very much with a mixed palate. Mm. And uh, my mum was a great cook for both Asian cuisine as well as Western mm. and European cuisine. Uh, mm. And as I've gotten older, I think my palate has developed into more of a western palate and i think that's a a good question that you've asked about palates because i enjoy soft creamy food but i also really enjoy dry crunchy food and i think that textural palate's really different from that of a an asian kind of uh heritage because Mm. a lot of asian cultures enjoy that crunchy tendon Mm -hmm. texture or that springy tripey jellyfish texture Mm -hmm. which is so foreign to a western palate that Mm -hmm. it's something which i really don't enjoy so that's actually a word that describes this exact thing that we're talking about in mandarin the texture yeah the texture so in chinese it's called kogan which direct translation is mouth feel yeah i love eating tendon but i feel like that texture that jelly squishy konyaku-ish jelly texture is something that Alex really really struggles with and also like I often talk to him about what is your baseline because every time I feel like when I cook I generally have a baseline idea of what something should taste like but obviously everyone's baseline is very different his interpretation of what a fried rice tastes like is 
perhaps very different to my interpretation. So I feel like, you know, sometimes with cooking, there's just so many like different scope of what tastes good to, to me might not taste necessarily the best for someone else as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just like navigating that space when you're cooking as well. And I guess it is very interesting, Eric, for you growing up in a household where you had like both sort of influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think my taste has also changed throughout my life. I don't know about you guys, mm-hmm. but I think things that I really enjoyed when I was younger, I'm not so much enjoying right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Give us an example. So it's also, while my mum was quite European and Western in, in her behaviour, she sometimes did some really Asian things. So when I was growing up, it was I was told what I liked and what I didn't like. And it wasn't until I was, I don't know, an adolescent <laughs> or so that I really kind of understood what my own palate was really enjoying. For example, right. as a kid, my mum always gave me ham and pineapple pizza. And mm. I think that was probably the only pizza I had ever growing up because my mum was like, no, <laughs> this is what you like. You eat this. And I think maybe when I was about 11, 12, I realised pineapple's kind of gross on a pizza. It is. I hate pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> I love it, but it's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And then I think at that point in time, I started exploring my own palate and really understanding what I enjoyed as an individual. Yeah, for sure. What are some dishes that are nostalgic for you from childhood? Oh, I think we always had a Sunday roast. So I think a Sunday roast is really nostalgic. Mm, It's beautiful. Meat and three veg. Very Aussie. Yeah. (laughs) Have you kept up the tradition? Well, I think one thing which is quite difficult is cooking for two. Because a lot of... I think when you're cooking for a family and you're Mm -hmm. able to invest that time, that love, that energy to see that reward across your entire family, that's, Mm. I think, quite rewarding. But cooking for two and investing, say, three hours of your afternoon in a dish is something which I probably only do once every blue moon. And that probably harks back to why I'm cooking a lot of pasta uh, and that's something which I really enjoy cooking as well because it's really quite easy, quick and uh, really quite delicious. And then coming back to that rewarding aspect, I know Sarah loves pasta, so it's quite Mm -hmm. rewarding (laughs) to know that she is really enjoying what I'm cooking. I would like to find out, how did you learn how to cook? So I think I started getting into it as I started to go to restaurants more and and realise food was less of fuel and more of like artistic expression. So I think Mm -hmm. I started taking that on board and started being creative in the kitchen. Is there a particular meal that like stands out to you? Or a turning point? Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't say there was ever a turning point or like a penny drop moment, but I think as I got older, and when I say older, as I progressed through my 20s, the quality of restaurant I was eating at was getting better. And as I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, I graduated, started earning more money and kind of progressed through my own professional career, that gave me that disposable income to be able to, um, uh, you know, invest in my dining out. And Mm -hmm. I think that kind of changed the way I perceived food and and also the the way that I perceive the value of ingredients Mm. as well. And, And I think that was not so much a turning point, but just an understanding that to make good food, you need to invest in quality ingredients. And in terms of how I learned, I think it was just through trial and error. I I think with any creative outlet, there's no really right or wrong way, right? And, you know, the the cost of of making a mistake in terms of creating a meal is that it doesn't taste quite right. But you can always correct it with, you know, an understanding of like salty, sweet, sour, just to offset any flavours that are in there. 
So you can bring it up to a standard which is pretty edible. So I think the, the cost of being creative in the kitchen is relatively low because you're not going to kill anyone. It's not like driving a car where if you drive a car badly, someone's going to die. If you just cook badly, it tastes a bit shit. You could food poison people. <laughs> that has oh, happened I, I, before. I guess that's in like a oh, only Sarah, situation. Only Sarah. Not, not a family. Yeah, just one person. Just one person. <laughs> So did you just do it like via your feel or did you use cookbooks? Did you watch YouTube? Did you read mm. blog blogs? Yeah, are there particular chefs that you look up to and reference? I wouldn't say there's any particular chef I reference. I do enjoy cookbooks, but I think that's more for, for visual inspiration rather than blow-by-blow blow recipes. Mm. I think it's important to take anything that you do and make it your own. Oh, interesting. And while cooking is... It, especially from recipes, is very regimented with precise um, quantities of ingredients with a finite list of ingredients. I think cooking is a thing where you can substitute and kind of put a, your own riff on anything. It's not like surgery or, or anything which is that precise. <laughs> that, that needs to be followed to a T. Uh, you can really make it your own and, and do with what you have uh, to, to produce something. I do enjoy cooking shows. I do enjoy mm. that visual inspiration more so than um, informational inspiration, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think I get a lot of inspiration through experience. I will mm. quite happily eat a meal in a restaurant, think about it and try to recreate that myself. Oh, and wow. I think memory is, is really important when it comes to food as well, because food serves as a trigger for, for memories. Mm-hmm. And I think if you think of food as that trigger for really good memories Mm. i think you can't really go wrong that's so cool they do say smell is like very linked to your memories yeah and i think smells really important because and then i think when we think about food we often just think about the taste and flavor and mouthfeel but it's so much more than that right Mm. so i think if we concentrate only on flavor and mouthfeel i think we're missing the bigger picture Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you define cooking from scratch? I would define cooking from scratch as taking bare bones input. So they're not necessarily just raw ingredients, but a pre-made stock or a uh, deboned chicken and converting Mm -hmm. that to something which is unique to you. So it's not Mm. getting something out of the freezer and smashing in the microwave. It is creating something which is unique to you and has a bit of you inside it. How do you think you go from looking at recipes and following recipes to where you are, which is clearly at another level? (laughs) So I think it's about having an understanding of what you enjoy, but also what you enjoy doing. I, I wouldn't create something which the journey of creation would be something which I would find really laborious and boring. So I think it's taking something which you enjoy doing to produce something you will enjoy eating or that others around you will enjoy eating. 
I think they're the crucial pieces of the puzzle. I like the question, June, like what do you define as cooking from scratch? So I'm going to ask you back that question. What do you define as cooking from scratch, June? I am the wrong person to ask because if someone tells me to cook something from scratch, I will make that bone broth from scratch. But then it means I only cook from scratch like once a month because it's so laborious to like make a barbecue sauce from scratch. In my mind, it's like you have to have raw ingredients. You can't have anything pre-packaged, but I don't think that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, I, and I think that's that's the thing, right? Everyone has a different way of thinking what cooking from scratch means. If you get dried pasta, that could be <laughs> cooking from scratch as well because, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't have time to make pasta mm-hmm. from scratch and often I would say that box pasta is pretty good and reliable most of the time too. I think it's about acknowledging where some things are better done outside of your kitchen. I think dried pasta is a really good example. I can make mm-hmm. pasta, I can make pasta pretty well, but on a Tuesday night after I've come home from work, yeah. I'm not making pasta yeah. from scratch. So I think right. shortcuts are fine. Uh, uh, and yeah. I think shortcuts should be acknowledged in the kitchen as being completely okay. But yeah. so long as you're injecting some of your own personality, some of your own emotion and feeling into what you're doing, mm. I think that's cooking from scratch. Do you have any tips if you were to try to encourage someone to cook from scratch? I think just be confident. So many people don't cook because they don't think they can cook, but really everyone can cook, right? And whether it's just simple as frying an egg or boiling some, boiling some pasta, everyone can do that. And I think with any kind of skill, especially like a, a motor-related skill, so riding a bike, driving a car, mm-hmm. I think having that confidence is absolutely key to being successful in it. Because if you're afraid of driving, you're probably going to be a shit driver. If you don't think you can ride a bike, you're probably going to fall over. (laughs) So I think having that confidence in yourself is really the first step. Yeah. Did you grow up helping your mom or dad out in the kitchen when they were cooking meals? If I think back to my childhood, Mm. I think my mum spent a lot of that time in the kitchen. So growing up as a young child, I was always in or around the kitchen. So I think the act of cooking... Mm-hmm. triggers a memory of me of for me from me mm. being a young child and I mm. think that's quite a warm heartening memory to trigger oh that's so beautiful yeah going back to when you were saying when you go to a restaurant you get inspired I'm now thinking that perhaps we eat at restaurants in a completely different way are you thinking about what went into the dish and makes up the dish I think I'm a bit of a food nerd as well so when I right. eat something I deconstruct not only the ingredients, but the process. I have a really high level of respect for chefs that produce really simple dishes that require a high level of finesse Mm -hmm. and technique. A dish which, on the surface level, looks really simple. I know it could have taken them months, if not years, to develop. I think I get a a high level of enjoyment out of eating those dishes because I realise the work that went into it that you don't often see as a customer uh, when you think about... Uh, you know, visual artists that spend hours and hours pouring over their artwork to produce something which on the surface may look quite simple, to know that they invested their mind, body and soul in it for for extended periods of time. I think that gives you a a greater level of respect and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. I like how you're comparing cooking and food to art. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. Very, Mm -hmm. very nice way to link it together. Yeah, I think any creative output, whether that be music, dance, uh, art, food should all be kind of viewed in the same 
respect lens. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly right. Because I think with all those creative outputs, the person doing the creation is is really just expressing themselves and who they are and and who they've been brought up to be and how they've been influenced by society and culture. So it's just an expression of themselves. Mm-hmm. June, I would like you to tell us about the time you did cooking school for like for three to six months last year. <laughs> okay, so I'm a little bit ashamed, but I did go to cooking school. It was a lot more serious than I thought it would be. It was a place called George Brown, and it's, I guess, a continuing education college where serious people that actually want to be chefs out in the world go to school. It was very serious. We had to wear hospitality-grade rubber shoes, wear the full uniform, wear a chef's hat. So I say that it was a good experience, and it taught me the value of a good sharp knife. And that is probably the main thing that I took away from my three months there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, how many months? Three months. It was once a week for three months. (laughs) What did you learn how to cook? I think this is the issue. So the class was based on like French fundamental cooking. And that is not my default. My default is more like Korean. That's not your style. Yeah, it's not my style. I don't... I don't really use a lot of butter in my cooking and a lot mm-hmm. of the techniques that I was taught, like how to make five different sauces from scratch. That's not something that I would really use in my life ever. I think if there was like an Asian fundamental class, I would have gotten more out of it. Beyond the technical skills, did it change the way you think about food at it all? It changed the way that I thought about ingredients. I think in my mind, because I don't use a lot of fresh herbs, I thought that herbs were kind of like all in the same, you know, you could use parsley, you could use thyme, like they're all just green bits that look, you know, (laughs) pepper your food with a bit of color. But yeah, we use so many um, herbs in every single class and having all of those ingredients come really fresh, I guess it really made the dishes have a depth of flavor that I wasn't used to in the way that I would make those same dishes. You mentioning how French cooking is in your style is quite important. I think for anyone starting to learn how to cook from scratch, you know, it is important to find what food I guess you enjoy eating and what techniques that goes along with that and then like mastering that mm-hmm. to make the most out of your everyday life when you're cooking. I think like everyone should just Pick one dish and master it. Mm. And if you're known just for that dish, I think that's a stepping stone (laughs) to like make, to start crafting another dish. And just those incremental gains, I think will make you a better cook. Eric, do you want to plug this whole hashtag that Sarah (laughs) made for you? It's amazing. It is Eric Cooks Sarah Eats. And if you go there on Instagram it will feature a lot of the food that I've cooked. I do want to say it is such a great hashtag. It's been documented over at least seven years, I want to say now. So go check it out. It's hashtag Eric Cooks Sarah Eats on Insta. Now's the time where we ask our guest some... FAQs! Okay, so I can kick it off. Mm -hmm. Eric. What is something you wish you could say to your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self to stop trying to fit in and just be yourself. I think you spend so much of your teens and early 20s trying to be one of the crowd, but I think I've spent a lot of my 30s realising who I am and just learning to be myself. Mm. Do you think that is a process that every human has to go through where in your 20s you try really hard to fit in? 
and then you come out of that going, oh, actually, I don't really need need to have done that. Yeah, I think it's a journey which most people go on. But wouldn't it be great to just get those few years back in your twenties where you were just yeah. wasting time trying to fit in, and just. It, I, I wish I knew who I was at a younger age, so I could have always been that person.、Mm. All right, question number two: Something you like to say to your forty-year-old self? Just to keep being thankful. I think I lead a pretty good、mm. life. I have a a pretty successful career. I have a long-term girlfriend who I love very much, and, and life is pretty good in my thirties. So I can only imagine it will keep getting better in my thirties. And when you kind of、mm-hmm. compare yourself to other people, I don't know if you've ever got into that LinkedIn spiral to see people you went to school with and how successful they are. Like, stop comparing yourself to them and just be thankful for what you have.、Mm. So I would keep telling myself that into my forties, just to be thankful because you've got it pretty good.、Mm-hmm. That's a nice one. Beautiful. Last question: Was there anything that you wanted to do before you turned thirty, and if so, did you do it? I think when I was in my late twenties, I had this like financial goal in mind in terms of how much I wanted to be earning by the time I hit thirty. And I didn't hit it when I was thirty. Like a dollar amount. Yeah, it was a dollar amount, and like I didn't hit it when、mm-hmm. I was thirty. I mean, I I think I have, since、mm-hmm. have hit it, but then I had this kind of realization in my thir- early thirties that money is not the sole driver in terms of what I do.、Mm. I think having a、yeah. work life balance, a sense of importance in my employer, a, a sense of me giving back to the community and doing a greater good. Are all more important、mm. than a dollar amount which I'm earning. It was I, I don't know if it was an immature thought to have in terms of a dollar amount, but or if it was just a really mature understanding that I picked up in terms of the satisfaction I get out of my employment is driven by more than just money. Love it. Thank you so much, Eric, for chatting to us、um, for this episode. Really appreciate. Your time. Yeah, thank you, Eric. It was really fun and insightful. Oh no, thank you. So next week we have a similar topic that does also help with hashtag ISO life. <laughs> It's take a class to learn a new skill. Oh, so many classes to take, <laughs> all online and all free at the moment. So that's what we'll be doing next week.、Um, thanks for joining us for the start of、uh, season two. Really excited for what we'll have for the rest of this season. Please comment, like, share, do whatever you need to do, yo.、Um, and、rate. thank you so much. Look up yeah, the hashtag with Eric. <laughs> <laughs>、um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. And as usual, if you have any feedback or things you want to tell us, please let us know. We're always happy to chat. Love it. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code Acast for twenty percent off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.